0: This morning we are uh, wrapping up our mini-series on some tough issues. These issues have centered on our relationships, how we view ourselves, and how we treat other people. And uh, Megan said it very appropriately uh, this morning during our worship time that a lot of what we've been talking about over the past uh, few months have has been about loving God and loving other people. The goal of this series Uh, has been that by asking hard questions about tough issues that we would be better prepared to live out the kingdom values that we have been talking about for the last few months. So three weeks ago, we asked the question, what does the Bible say about the people of God having enemies? And here is what we discovered. We discovered that it is in fact biblical for us to have enemies. The Bible is full of accounts uh, which detail how the people of God has and have enemies. Uh, and, and it also talks about God having enemies, that there are powers and forces that actively work uh, against God in this world. However, uh, God, and this is important, does not consider people, His creation, uh, to be His enemies. Maybe at one time he did, but with the coming of Jesus, God showed that even though we may stand in opposition to him, he does not make himself our enemy. He does not treat us as enemies. Instead, he treats us as friends. <clears throat> God could have treated us very differently than how he does. He could have treated us like enemies, but instead he treats us like friends. So this led us to this conclusion that just because you have an enemy, it does not necessarily give you the right to treat them like an enemy, particularly if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. In Christ, we are never to be an enemy to anyone. We can't control what other people will do. We can't control whether they choose to set themselves against us or our God, but we can absolutely control what our response is to that situation. And we are to respond in all things, even the most difficult things, with love. We are to treat enemies as friends just as God treated us as friends. But even further than that, we are to love our enemies in a sincere way and to pray for them even if they are actively harming us. We are to operate under a completely different ethic than those around us. And where others would seek uh, revenge or to defeat their enemies, we will love our enemies by offering grace and forgiveness. Now last week, we began to discuss how we actually do this. Using Galatians 5 as our home base, we discovered a few more things. Uh, First and foremost, (laughs) foremost, we have a choice. And that choice lies between two very basic things. We can be self-indulgent and serve ourselves or we can serve God and fulfill his law by loving and serving other people. Paul makes it clear there in Galatians that we have been set free in Christ to love and serve other people regardless of who they are. And it is the Spirit that helps us to accomplish this. The desires of the Spirit are in conflict with the desires of our flesh, with the things that we want. They are very different things. They want very different things. And when we experience these conflicting desires, we have a choice of whether we will continue to walk in the Spirit And serve others, or whether we will choose to satisfy the flesh given what we want and serve ourselves. All of this is a very dynamic experience. As we walk by the Spirit, we will constantly find ourselves in situations where the Spirit will be in conflict with the flesh, where the Spirit will want one thing and the flesh will want another. And this conflict will show itself in lots of different ways, but it will especially show itself in the relationships that we have with others. And the Spirit is going to prompt us to love and serve other people in the same way that God has loved and served us, but we have to be willing to deny ourselves and follow the leading of the Spirit. Okay, so that pretty much brings us up to date. And all of this is great. And, you know, it's great to talk about, but there is still one more outstanding question that I would like for us to address. If the entire law as Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 5, is fulfilled in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself, then we have to ask the question, who is my neighbor? Who am I supposed to love? Well, I could very biblically say that we are supposed to love everyone, drop the mic, and we could all be on our way. The problem is that this observation, while true, doesn't really help us or even change the way that we treat other people. Now, the first thing that we have to admit in terms of loving others and who is our neighbor and who we're going to treat differently is that it is pretty easy for us to love people who love us back. It is easy to be good to people who are good back to us. And in some ways, we are conditioned to expect that if we love and serve other people, that they will somehow, in some way, love and serve us in return. Now, the Bible actually backs us up on this. God knows how we are. Jesus knows what we're like. And it knows that this is true, and that if we are left up to our own determination, we will love in this way. We will love those who love us, and we will serve those who serve us. We will be good to those who are good to us. Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 48, a passage that we've looked at a few times, but let's look at it one more time here this morning. Jesus says, "'You've heard that it was said, "'Love your neighbor and hate your enemy.'" But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Don't even pagans do that. Be perfect Therefore, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus expands the definition of love and who we are to love in a really uncomfortable way. And his point is so just clear and simple. And I hate it when he does this. His point is that anyone can love other people that love them. Anyone can be good to people that are good to them. But it takes a child Of God to be good to enemies, to love enemies, to pray for those who persecute them. So it's fine, it's fine for you to love those who love you, but as a follower of Jesus, you are supposed to love those who may not love you back. In fact, you are even supposed to love those who would make themselves your enemy. And this is what it means to be a child of our Father in heaven. So I just want to get this out of the way before we get into the specifics of how this works. As followers of Jesus, we are to love indiscriminately. We are to love people of all shapes and sizes, all colors and ethnicities, people from all across the religious, political, and social spectrums. We are to love them, and we are to love them without expecting anything in return. And I have news for you. People that are not Christians can tell the difference between when we love them and when we don't. They know. Now, before we get too uppity about this. We have to remember Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 10, a passage that we've looked at several times over the last few weeks, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him. That God chose to love us while we were far away from him. And this is so wonderfully true but he just as importantly also chose to love us with no guarantee that we would ever love him back. I have news for you. God still loves actively the people who don't love him back. In fact, God chose to love us, giving up his son with the knowledge that his love would be rejected even by those who would follow him and lots of different ways. After all, Jesus was killed by the very people he was here to save and set free. He, he washed the feet of the people who left the room to go and betray him. What does this mean? As children of God, we are to love others even if we get nothing back. In fact, maybe we need to change how we look at the whole scenario we are to love others and expect nothing back because this love is modeled after that is modeled after our god is not about receiving something in return it is about the giving which is why this question then who is my neighbor is such a flawed question it's such a peculiar word that is used within this context. We're not told to love everyone. We're told to love our neighbor as ourselves. But what does that mean? Who is our neighbor? We have to ask it even if the question is flawed. But fortunately for us, we have a parable that speaks to this very question and this very problem. It comes from Luke chapter 10, verses... Twenty-five through well, we're going to start in twenty-five through twenty-nine. On one occasion, an expert in law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, "What must I do to inherit eternal life?" He answered, "What is what is written in the law?" He replied, "How do you read it?" He answered, "Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind." And Love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So there are two questions that were asked within this interaction that Jesus had. The first one is, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I want to go to heaven. How do I make sure that happens? Now, I want to point out that this question in and of itself is not an unreasonable question. But again, this whole interaction is flawed because the guy who asked this question, his motivations weren't pure. He wanted to test Jesus. He wanted to see if Jesus knew the right answer. He wanted to see if Jesus was going to give the answer that he agreed with. And so the answer was, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. He knew the answer. Jesus confirmed the answer. He felt good about himself, but then he needed to take it one step further. And Luke says he wanted to justify himself. So then he asked the question, the question that we're asking Who is my neighbor? Now, again, it's a peculiar word in some ways for us, but this command to love your neighbor in this way is found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke multiple times. It's a quotation of Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, the, from the law, and the command is also found in Romans, Galatians, and James. So this command to love your neighbor and to love your neighbor as yourself is serious. We are to do this. So the question of who is our neighbor is a good one that we need to ask. But we see in this interaction that there is something inherently wrong about the question, but we can't quite put our finger on it yet. We know that there's something wrong about the question in the way that the man asks it, because if you're looking to answer this question honestly, like we are this morning Uh, You might be looking for a way to expand your view of love, but it's clear that this dude is not looking to expand anything about what it means to follow God and love others. He is looking for some confirmation that he is doing enough. And so the question that he asks, who is my neighbor, has an exclusionary tone to it. If I must love my neighbors, then let me know who my neighbors are so that I can love them but not love anyone else. Now, for most Jews, a neighbor was another Jew, not a Samaritan or a Gentile. The Pharisees and others did not even include all the Jews in who they considered to be their neighbors. The Essenes, which was one uh, sort of Jewish sect at the time, taught that one was to love all the children of light who are part of the community, but to hate the children of darkness who stand outside the community. Now, for us, this word neighbor also has limitations on it. For example, if I were to ask you outside of this context, who is your neighbor, uh, you might think of the people that live next door to you or that are in the same neighborhood. So what does the law mean when it says neighbor? Who is our neighbor? Who are we to love? So in reply to this question, Jesus said, from verses 30 through 35 of Luke chapter 10, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. And when I return I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Now, what is the significance of the kinds of people that Jesus chose for this story? Well, there's four basic characters. There is the traveler, the victim, and the hearer would have assumed that the traveler was a Jewish man. There was the priest Now the priest was a descendant of Aaron involved in the sacrifices and maintenance of the temple as well as various uh, purification rites. Uh, A priest had some pretty specific restrictions where uh, he could not defile himself by coming into contact with the dead except in the case of a close relative. A Levi is a descendant of Levi who assisted the priest in various sacrificial duties and policing the temple, but could not perform sacrificial acts, but likewise had some pretty serious restrictions. Now, the Samaritans, uh, these people were not well-liked by the Jews. That's really kind of putting it mildly. The I've told you this before, but let me go over it one more time. The United Kingdom of Israel was divided after the death of Solomon. Uh, the ten northern tribes formed Israel. The two southern tribes formed Judea. In 722, the north fell to the Assyrians um, and the leading citizens of that area were exiled and dispersed and spread out and non-Jewish people were brought into the area to settle. So intermarriage resulted uh, and and these people became half-breeds in the view of the Jews. In Jewish writings, it actually says, One who eats bread baked by Samaritans is like one who eats pork. Uh, Pork was not something you were supposed to do. I know. Major no no. And certain oral law from, from the Jewish law punished a Samaritan for killing a Jew, but did not punish a Jew for killing a Samaritan. So there's bad blood. With each of these characters, Save the Victim, there would be pre-established thoughts about them from the Jewish audience that Jesus was speaking to. But here's the real trick of the story. It's what makes this story so powerful, though I don't know if you've ever thought about it. Who would the audience have associated themselves with? Who would they have been within the story? Well, they wouldn't have been the priest because that's a specific office. You're born into this role and you know it from the time you're a child. Not the Levite because samesies. Not the Samaritan because ugh. So either they see themselves completely outside the story or they would see themselves as the traveler left for dead on the side of the road. Now, what happens in the story? Well, both the priest and the Levite pass by the man. Now, we are not told why they pass by. We're not given their motivation, so any answers here would be pure guesses. Uh, Did they not want to be attacked? Did they think he was dead and not want to become unclean? We're not told, because why they did what they did is not as important as simply what they did. They didn't stop. They went on. They left the man there by the side of the road. What sets the Samaritan apart is not who he is, but what he does. The Samaritan stopped. He took care of the man, used his own oil and wine to dress his wounds. He put him on his own donkey, walked the donkey into the next town, took him to an inn, and paid for all his ongoing care, even promising to reimburse the innkeeper for any expenses if they overran what he gave the guy. Now, the Samaritan in the story is actually not the person you think would come by next in this line. I mean, if you think about it, if the priest comes by, and that's tier one in terms of closeness to God, and then the Levi comes by, and that's tier two, like who would be next? Maybe a Pharisee or a Jewish citizen or someone else but having a Samaritan come on the scene, it jumps all the way to the bottom. There's a huge leap here. I mean, Samaritans are, after all, to the Jewish reader, awful people. And the expectation would have been in hearing that it was a Samaritan, that the Samaritan too would go by the man just like everyone else, but instead he did the opposite of everyone else. He, he gave of himself and took care of the man without question and he did it, get this, sacrificially, without question. Giving of what he had so that the man could be saved. So Jesus tells this story and this is what he asks after. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert replied, The one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, Go and do likewise. You see what Jesus did there? What was the question? Who is my neighbor? Who must I love? And Jesus effectively reverses the question. He changes it from who is my neighbor to which one of these acted like a neighbor. And by doing this, by changing the question, he refused to set limits on who we are to love. One thing about one more thing about the Samaritan, something that is so remarkable about the behavior of this person is that the Jewish citizen who was beaten would have had nothing to do with the Samaritan in real life, wouldn't have even eaten bread that the Samaritan had made. The good Jew would never associate with this kind of person and would certainly not let a Samaritan touch them or take care of them. The Jew was an enemy, you see, To the Samaritan and would have treated him poorly at every chance, but the Samaritan refused to treat the Jewish person like an enemy. Instead, he did the most remarkable thing he saw him, he loved him, he cared for him. And in doing all of these things, he became a neighbor. The answer to all of this is simple, though not easy. We have to ask ourselves the right question. No matter what kind of situation we find ourselves in, we have to ask the right question. And if we are entering into any situation asking who do I have to love, it is the wrong question. Instead, we must ask, who do I have the opportunity to love? Who is your neighbor? Who are you, through your love, able to be a neighbor to? Who are you able to Draw into this God that you know to bring into your home, into your life. And it's not easy. This challenge that Jesus lays before us. But if we are going to be children of our Father in heaven, we are not going to look for restrictions on who we love. And you know what? That's going to mean that we're going to find ourselves in difficult, difficult situations. Loving people who won't love us back. Loving people who don't treat us well. Loving people who would have nothing to do with us. Loving people who speak poorly of us. Loving people who even try to hurt us. But this is the way of our Father and therefore it is the way of us. Our way as his children. So our prayer this morning is that as we encounter anyone, everyone, that we would not be looking for ways that we don't need to or have to love them, but that we would see every encounter as an opportunity to turn someone into a neighbor and that we would fulfill the whole law, the whole law, by loving our neighbors as ourselves. Let's pray for help and strength to do this. Heavenly Father, we see the difficulty of this challenge. God, we're not even good at loving those who love us. And so this call to love those who may not love us is hard and challenging for us. But God, may we ask the right questions in all these moments. May the Spirit prod us to ask the right questions. And may we not ask who we have to love, Father, but instead may we see every encounter, every opportunity as a chance to love someone and to make them our neighbor. And God, may we glorify you in the way that we love others. It's hard to put ourselves aside in this way, Father. But will you give us the strength, the eyes to see the strength to love in the way that you have loved us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.